Well, as you can see, we're excited about At The Movie starting on June the 9th. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be a great, great time. And if you've never been to our At The Movie series, uh, let me just say it's by far one of the easiest invites you'll ever have as far as inviting people to come with you because it really is an opportunity where church and movies uh, meet. It's an opportunity for us to take part in some of the uh, uh, most memorable and impactful movies perhaps some of us have seen or maybe haven't seen. But through that, we learn some powerful biblical truths to apply to our everyday lives. And so I do want to encourage you to, to be thinking about friends and people that you know that you can invite to be a part of that special series starting on June the 9th. And speaking of that, uh, I want everybody to get out their cell phones because right now is an opportunity for you to do something. Very rare do you get uh, permission to get to use your cell phones during church unless you're taking notes, which by the way, you can do that through our app. You can follow along even t in today's message. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something else, a little participation here, and that is this. On our series called At The Movies, uh, we do a lot of additional things to really make that such a high-impact um, series, especially when it comes to a lot of our decor, um, the concessions. We serve free popcorn and, and Cokes, and it's an opportunity for us to uh, engage our children through a lot of the characters and a lot of the things that we just kind of do to bring it all to life. And so I like to say it this way, it's an opportunity for us to kind of share an all-hands-on-deck all effort um, to make it the greatest impact that, <coughs> excuse me, that we can <coughs> as people come through our services for perhaps the very first time. So if you've never um, participated or maybe served in the area of At The Movies, let me encourage you to jot down. In fact, you can type. You don't jot. You type with your thumbs uh, on your phone. You can actually uh, type the words ATM19 to the number 97,000. ATM19 to the number 97,000. What that does is it sends you a link, and you can fill out the form and then submit that and we'll follow up with you, and you can just check off some of the areas of interest that you might have as far as serving as a part of our At The Movies Dream Team. So I hope you'll take advantage of doing that. It's going to be an incredible time, and we really do want to invite you to do that. Well, let me just say, um, today we are um, really just in a standalone uh, message related to this particular weekend because it is a special weekend, being that it's Memorial Day weekend. And I just thought to myself, you know, as we pause for a moment and we really reflect and take time to remember the men and the women, the brave men and women who have truly served and sacrificed and who have helped um, really fight and even defend our freedom, um, I just thought it would be powerful for us to not just acknowledge that and honor that today collectively as a church, but how much more as followers of Jesus for us to really fully understand what it means to live in freedom every day. In other words, there's another kind of freedom that I think so often we don't fully understand, especially as followers of Christ. You know, when you think about it, Jesus Christ came into the world over 2,000 years ago. He, too, laid down his life, sacrificed himself to die on a cross for your sin and for mine, and therefore Jesus Christ, the Bible says, who knew no sin became sin for us. So Jesus Christ, because of what he did at Calvary's cross, has paid the highest and greatest price for our freedom. And I think one of the great tragedies is that so often as that we fail to fully understand that he did that so that we can be fully reconciled between ourselves and God. Because without 
the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there would be no hope. And so our ultimate, found, our ultimate freedom is found in Christ Jesus. But before we dive into that, when I think of the word freedom, I can't help but think of that great movie um, known as Braveheart. Some of you, how many, just curious, how many of you ever seen the movie called Braveheart? You know, the, uh, the actor Mel Gibson, of course, plays the role of this guy named William Wallace. And you all perhaps can remember um, the movie where there's that moment, this, this powerful moment where William Wallace is, is there before his Scottish troops and he's trying to mobilize them and inspire them and really challenge them to defend their freedom by taking on the English army, which completely outnumbered them. But in this moment, William Wallace challenged them and basically they had a choice. They could either run for the fear of their lives or they could fight and they could defend their freedom as a country. And we have that clip, so I want you to check this out. I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. I'm dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to train all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives? But they'll never take our freedom! You know, when you think about freedom, there's another kind of freedom and here's what I believe is so powerful. When you think about life, which Jesus came to give us, what did he say? He said, I've come that you may have life and experience it to the full. Well, when I think of the word life, I can't help but associate life with freedom because that's really what life stands for. It simply stands for living in freedom every day. So when you think about life, Jesus came so that we may have life and live it to the full, which I believe is really living in the freedom that Christ came to give us. And I've been in ministry now for a long time. In fact, I was calculating it up the other day. I had to use a calculator. I'm being serious. I was having a hard time figuring it out in my head. 30 years. And I was thinking to myself, wow, 30 years of full-time ministry. I surrendered to the call of full-time ministry and actually was serving in full-time ministry back in 1989. Um, and I'll never forget, it was just an incredible moment in my life and a season that I entered into because of a calling that God had placed in my life. And so here we are, fast forward all these years, and I have met with countless people. And one of the things that I've learned is that so often 
One of the things that people often say is that, hey, I know Christ. I have a relationship with him. And this is what I've seen even with people in our own church. They will often raise their hand. Every service at the end, I always give people the opportunity to put their faith and trust in Jesus without fail. Almost every service, we always have people that will raise their hand saying, yes, I prayed that prayer, invited Jesus in my life. And one of the most powerful things is the fact that people right there in that moment, in, their own, in the privacy of their own hearts, they can enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And yes, they will be saved. And yes, they are saved. And yes, they will have a home in heaven that awaits them. But the tragedy is that so often people will experience that and they'll enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and yet for whatever reason, they live defeated lives. Rather than walking and living in freedom every day, they're still bound to a lot of the issues of their past. A lot of folks, unfortunately, are still slaves, if you will, to the hurts and to the habits and even to the hang-ups in their lives that keep them from living in freedom every day. It's kind of like the story of the people in, in Egypt. You know, you had the Hebrews that were living as uh, slaves there in Egypt for some 400 years. And so generation after generation, that's all they knew. It's just slavery. They were prisoners. They were basically held in bondage, if you will. And so one day God says, okay, I've had enough. And so what did he do? He sent Moses to go into this place called Egypt. And he confronted Pharaoh and he said, it's time to let God's people go. And so through this experience, what do we know? We know that the people... The Israelites, the Hebrews, they were, they were delivered out of Egypt. What did Moses do? Remember, he, he, you know, he, he put his, the rod of God you know, there in the middle of the Red Sea. And so you see this moment as all of, these, all of these Hebrews, they cross over the Red Sea. They cross over onto the other side. So here they are being delivered from the bondage, being delivered from what they had known for those 400 years. And in that instant... They crossed over to the other side, and those Hebrews were, were delivered. In other words, salvation had happened. But the problem was, is that even though they entered to the other side, the land that God had promised, even though they had been delivered out of Egypt, unfortunately, Egypt had not been delivered out of them. And I think that's what happens with a lot of believers who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I know that Jesus has saved me. I know I'm going to die and go to heaven one day. However, the Egypt is still in them. They still haven't learned how to overcome the challenges and the setbacks and the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups that still holds them in bondage that still allows them to live as prisoners, so to speak. And that's why Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and experience it to the full. But what we fail to maybe realize is that on the front part of that, of, that, um, of that verse is that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. We have to remember the fact that we really do have a spiritual opposition. And rather than us walking and living in freedom every day, we still have to fight the daily battles of the enemy who's trying to take us out, who wants to trip us up, who wants to defeat us and hold us bound to our past. He wants to remind us that we're still slaves. He wants to remind us that we don't deserve freedom, that we don't deserve deliverance, that we don't deserve salvation. 
You see, the reason why the, reason why the Hebrews had such a hard time of, of, of really living in freedom and victory is simply because they still acted like slaves. They still thought like slaves. They still live like slaves. And that's the same as it relates to Christians. We can still live like the past. We can still have a mindset of the past. We can still be a slave to the struggles that literally incarcerate our everyday lives rather than really being free from that and walking in the freedom that Christ came to give us. In fact, what's interesting is that when you think about the story of Moses and the Israelites, you remember when Moses went up there to the Mount of Sinai and he, he, you know, he stood before God and so here he is uh, standing there on holy ground. What did God do? God revealed himself in a very powerful way and gave Moses what was referred to as the Ten Commandments, the laws that were to help govern, if you will, the people and to help basically um, articulate, if you will, as far as how they were to live their lives. And so he comes down the mountain and you know he's holding the Ten Commandments. And as he comes down and he, he confronts the, the Israelites, remember he had his face, it glowed, it, it had the glory of God and it, it radiated so much to where, you know, the people couldn't hardly look at Moses' face because it radiated so brightly. And so Moses put a veil over his face to, to basically cover, if you will, the glory of God because it was blinding the eyes of the people. Well, fast forward and in the New Testament, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the veil, if you will, was torn. So therefore, we're no longer spiritually blind. God has given us spiritual eyes to see. So now we can see ourselves the way God sees us. And so it's important that we understand this powerful truth in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, where it says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You've got to understand what Paul was trying to emphasize. In fact, he was declaring to the people living there in Corinth that, hey, you've got to understand that God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit are one and the same. So wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, the Lord is the Spirit. So wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, listen, there is freedom. we got to understand as believers in Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus did on the cross and the fact that he arose from the grave, we have freedom because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That ought to get a good amen instead of a good old me. That's why the Bible says you should know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So here's something I want to encourage you to jot down. Here's the key thought, and that is this. It's not what we do that determines our freedom. It's what Jesus did for us that determines our freedom. You see, unfortunately, the people of Israel, the Jews, were still bound to the law. They were still bound by the good works. They were still bound by the external things that they thought gave them approval of God. But when Jesus entered into the scene, and this is what Paul was emphasizing, when Jesus entered into the scene because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and because of the very indwelling power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us as believers in Christ Jesus, the power comes from, from within. The power comes from the resurrection power, the Holy Spirit who indwells our hearts. It's not just based on the external things. No, it is through the Holy Spirit's power living and indwelling inside of us. 
There are two aspects that I want to share with you today when it comes to living in freedom. The first is what I refer to as the knowing God part. And I think this will be helpful because I think this is what a lot of people struggle with. And the knowing God part oftentimes is the easy part. And here's what I mean by that. The knowing God part says this. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So salvation is not something we do for God. No, salvation is something God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So you've got to understand, that's the knowing God part. You see, salvation happens instantly. But listen, freedom is a process. Did you get that? Freedom is a process. And so here's what I mean. If all we do is focus on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, then what we're doing is we're focusing on forgiveness. But what you got to understand is that we can't just focus on forgiveness and focus on the cross. We also have to realize that the resurrection is the completeness of the gospel. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is this. It gives us a new identity. It gives us a new beginning. We are new creations through Christ Jesus. Therefore, we have new lives in Christ Jesus because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So because of that, we can live in freedom, freedom from the bondage of sin that incarcerates. So there's the knowing God part, but there's also the finding freedom part. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says it this way. Paul said, work hard to show the results of your salvation. In other words, don't, listen, don't just say it, live it. Live out your salvation Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So it's one thing to say we're Christians. It's another thing to live Christianity out each and every day where we're walking in freedom rather than defeat. So there are three things that I think are very important for us to realize. When God made us, he made us as triune beings. In other words, we have a body. And so all of us here today, we are representing the bodies that God gave us. And what you got to understand, related to those physical bodies comes physical cravings. These are the appetites of the physical aspect of our lives. This is the cravings of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. It's the things that satisfy and appeals to the appetites of our physical bodies and our flesh. But then there's the soul. What is the soul? The soul is the mind. It's the emotions. It's the will. Our soul has feelings. Our soul has thoughts. It has a will. So you have the body. You have the soul, but you also have the spirit. And the spirit is the part of us that is like God. It doesn't mean we physically look like God because the Bible says that God is the spirit. But what that basically means is, is our spirit is the part that's going to live forever. And so when you look at the spirit and you look at the soul and you look at the body, all three of those must come in harmony with God. 
So when one is out of whack, one is out of balance, we can't live in the freedom. We can't live in the victory that Jesus came to give us when he said, I've come that you may have a life and experience of the full. Because the enemy, our opposition, is still trying his hardest to steal, kill, and destroy. He's still working overtime to lure you and distract you and defeat you and discourage you and depress you convincing you that you don't have what it takes to live in victory. So here's what we got to understand. We got to understand what freedom in Christ means to us as followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're taking notes today, here are three things that I'm going to give you. And then I'm going to give you a quick wrap-up as far as some personal application. The first is this. Freedom in Christ means to us as Christians is the fact that we have victory over sin. We have victory over sin. That simply means, hey, we all are guilty of making wrong choices. The Bible says there's none righteous, not even one. The Bible says we're all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So every single one of us, me included, we've all missed the mark. It's like trying to shoot an arrow and hit the target, but we repeatedly miss over and over and over. And so the issue is, is that we all fall short. We all mess up. Listen, the, the li life is filled with choices, and we are the sum total of those choices. And the truth of the matter is, is that we've all made choices that were in opposition to God. God's plan, God's purpose is God's will. So we are all guilty from the standpoint of messing up. And these are the things that we bring upon ourselves. These are the consequences for our wrong choices, for the sin of our lives. And yet, because of what Jesus did on the cross... And because of his resurrection, guess what? We now have victory over our sin. We have victory over our past. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25, there is a powerful verse of Scripture related to the freedom that we have over sin because it's been conquered through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have victory over sin, but we also have healing for our wounds. And that's the stuff that people do to us or the things that people have done to us. We all have hurts. We all have those wounds that have been inflicted upon us, things that people have done to us, things that people have said to us, things that we've personally encountered or experienced in our lives that have created a lot of hurt, a lot of disappointment, a lot of pain in our lives. And unfortunately, sadly, so often the hurt that we carry are relational issues. And so a lot of our hurts are hard to overcome. And the reason why is because they hurt. They're, they're wounds that often go very, very deep in our lives. We can't heal ourselves. Only God can heal us. Only God can transform us. Only God can remove the guilt, the shame, the hurt, the disappointment, all the things that go with that. So what, what we have to realize is that God is the only one who can close the door to our yesterdays once and for all. Aren't you thankful that you are not what you did? Aren't you thankful for that? You are not what you did. 
The enemy wants to convince you otherwise. The, other, the enemy wants to, because he knows if he can get you to fall, if he can get you to trip, if he knows if he can conquer you, he knows if he can defeat you, what is, when you fall, when you make a bad decision, guess what? He's right there because he's our accuser. He's pointing our finger at us. He's trying to remind us, you are a failure. You are what you did. You don't deserve to be forgiven. And so often we just heap guilt and shame upon our lives. But we've got to understand something. Man, the greatest single thing we can do is to release all of that and lay it at the foot of the cross. Here's something I think is important when it comes to wounds. We have to be willing to let go of those wounds, those hurts. We've got to give those to God. And specifically, when it comes to people. And the reason why is because Anger, listen, kills affection. Anger will kill your affection between you and God, and anger will kill your affection toward other people. In other words, you will no longer be able to trust people. You'll put a wall between you and others. You'll keep people at arm's length. Why? Because you know you've been hurt. You've been wounded. You've been, dis listen, people have let you down. They've disappointed. They've betrayed you. Listen, all of those things that the enemy will use, once again, emotionally to sabotage you. And so we got to understand that it's through those wounds that we have to let go. And here's what the scripture says as it relates to anger. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Why? For anger gives a foothold to the devil. You know what I've learned in all the years of working with couples? I've learned without question. The number one Listen, the number one thing the enemy uses to destroy a marriage relationship is anger. So the moment he can get you mad at one another is the moment he can get you defeated. So we got to understand that anger is something that if we're not careful, we can hold in our hearts, and that's the hurt. So rather than letting go of the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups, what do we do? We still nurse them. We still, we, we still hold on to them. And we will never be able to live in victory and walk in victory until we let go of the wounds of our lives. So what does freedom in Christ mean? It simply means that we have victory over sin. It means that we can have healing from our wounds. But it also simply means, listen to this, authority over the enemy. We literally just spent an entire series called Headspace. And the whole premise behind this series was learning how to control the thoughts that control our lives. And what did we learn? We learned that there is divine power that we have because of the Word of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to literally demolish the strongholds that trip us up and defeat us and control us. Listen, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we don't have to live in defeat. We can live in victory, and we can win the battle of our mind because of the divine power that we have to overcome the enemy. Listen, we can overcome because Jesus Christ overcame. So here's what we have to understand. Living in freedom simply means, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we have victory over sin, we have healing from our wounds, and we have authority over the enemy. So let me just break this down in a very practical way. So how do you live in freedom every day? If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, identify areas in your life that are tripping you up. 
This goes a lot, a, a lot along the lines of what we learned in the Headspace series where, listen, you got to name, you got to identify, you got to, listen, because if you can't name it, you can't defeat it. You've got to learn the importance of identifying those things that enemy uses to trip you up. It could be that hurt. It could be an addiction, a habit that you find yourself reverting back to. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a sexual addiction, an alcoholic addiction, a drug addiction, a food addiction, listen, a gambling addiction, fill in your own blank. I don't care what it is you had a name whatever it is it could be that wound that hurt that you're still harboring in your heart that you're still resentful towards a situation or, or, or maybe some people or person whatever it is you got to name it so you can identify whatever it is that's tripping you up why is that so important because the bible simply says it this way in hebrews 12 1 let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So listen, I don't care if it's people, the surroundings and the associations that you identify with that are a distract, that are defeating you and distracting you. I don't care if it's an addiction, if it's a hurt, it's a wound, whatever it is, you got to name it so that you can defeat it. You got to identify whatever it is. Why? So you can strip it away and you can run with the freedom that God has called you to run so you can cross the finish line with the spiritual race that God has called us to run. Number two is this. We need to find a Bible verse that addresses the behavior that needs to change. So once you identify whatever it is, whatever behavior that's stripping, listen, that's tripping you up, listen, whatever that is, find a Bible verse that addresses that behavior. Why? 2 Timothy 3.16 says it this way. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And it straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. All throughout the Bible. Listen, there are there are truths, there are principles, there are promises that God has made. We've got to identify a verse of Scripture in the Bible that relates to the behavior that is displeasing to God, that the enemy is using to trip us up, and we've got to replace those lies, those hurts, those habits, those hang-ups with the truth. Why? Because when you know the truth, the truth sets you free. So let me give you... An example of how this is going to work. I had a, a lady actually approach me a few moments ago after our first service. She said, I went and got my car after the service. I turned on my engine. She said, she said the message hit me so deeply. She said, I turned the engine off and I wanted to come and tell you. She said, because you spoke on a topic the enemy has been using to defeat me. And it's fear. She's been going through a lot in her life, and it's, as a result, it's caused a tremendous amount of fear in her life. Well, let me share something with you. We all have fears. I got them. You got them. And those fears can be associated with all kinds of things. Fear of the unknown, the uncertainty. Fear of what other people think. You know, fill in your own blank. We all have fears. I used to have a fear. I'll be very candid with you. I used to have a fear to tithe. I was paralyzed with it. 
Because I felt like I had to be in control. And that's the reason why I live with so much fear. Is because I was a slave. I was living in bondage to a fear of having to be in control of something that I thought I could not do without. And then when God liberated me from that, I learned a verse of scripture that set me free. And it's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. What does it say? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, which is exactly what I was, I was not trusting. And I was depending upon my own rationale and reasoning and justification and excuses. So it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Maybe you have a fear of another kind. Maybe you have a fear of being alone. Maybe you have a fear of the unknown. Find a Bible verse that associates with fear. Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. This is not in your notes. You may just want to jot these down. I'm going to run through these really, really fast. Take fear, for example. If you fear of being alone, Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Maybe you have a struggle with anger, as we just mentioned a few moments ago. What does the Bible say? Well, there's a verse in Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. Maybe it's that verse that you need to look up when you get home. Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. Bottom line is, it says, listen, get rid of all anger, harsh words, bitterness, slander. Listen, learn to forgive one another just as Christ forgave you. Maybe you have an issue with lust. Guess what? Job 30, 31, verse 30. 31 verse 1. Write that down. Job 31 verse 1. If that's an area you struggle with, what did Job say? I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a woman. Worry. Do you have a problem with worry? You ought to write down Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7. What does it say? Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about everything, but in everything. What does he say? By through prayer and petition, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God what trans, that transcends all human understanding will guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus. It's a powerful verse related to worry. You have, are you carrying stress right now because of the fear and the uncertainty and the worries about tomorrow? A great verse on stress. Matthew 11, verse 28. What did Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And what did he say? I will give you rest for your souls. You don't have to carry it alone. Why place all that pressure on yourself? Give it to God. You have issues with temptation when you're alone, when you're with the wrong crowd? Here's a great verse, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation in your life. The temptations in your life are no different from the other's experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand when you are tempted. He will show you a way out so that you can endure. I could go on and on, but here's the bottom line is, whatever is tripping you up, find a verse in the Bible that is associated with the behavior that's tripping you up. And then the third thing, this is quick, this is so important. Listen, memorize it and repeat it throughout the day memorize it and repeat it throughout the day. Remember we talked in the Headspace series, name it, write it, replace it, declare it, believe it. It's so important that we internalize the Word of God. Why? Because you may be with the wrong crowd and you may not have your leather-bound Bible with you. You may be alone, isolated by yourself in front of the computer screen looking at the wrong stuff 
and you're not sitting there on the Bible app looking at Scripture. You need, listen, you need to allow the power of memory to transform your thinking, to renew your mind when you're in those vulnerable places of temptation. And by the way, the enemy is not going to wait for you to be around a bunch of solid Christian people when he comes to attack you. No, he's going to attack you when you're alone in front of a computer screen when there's no one looking. He's going to attack you, listen, when you're together with that person of the opposite sex. Listen, he's going to attack you in your weakness, in your moment of frailty and vulnerability. You know why? Because he knows if he can lure you in, he's got you. And you've got to have the sword of the Spirit to overcome the one who's coming after you. And that's why you need to memorize and repeat it throughout the day. And then lastly, surround yourself with other growing believers. Surround yourself, listen, with people who are like-minded. Listen, people who are, listen, walking the walk. People who are committed. People who are standing with you. People who are for you. People who are praying for you. Listen, the, our life groups exist for that very reason. Our life groups exist for three, reason, three reasons. To connect people. We want to connect you spiritually and relationally. Secondly, to protect you. Why? Because no one can defeat the enemy. Listen, we need the support of one another. We need the power of God's word, and we need the support of other people. You need people you can be standing back to back with. You need people you can lock arms with. You need people. Why? Because it's better doing life together. Don't do life alone. So we connect, we protect, and then we grow. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens helps, supports, nurtures, challenges, inspires, leads the way for growth to higher levels in our faith. So we need that. We need that. In just a few moments when we're dismissed, you can go right across the hall and you can be a part of a life group training that will help you so that you can go through our six-week at the movies small group series that we're going to be doing that will help you. Why? Because, listen, God wants you to experience life that Jesus came. How do you spell life? What does it mean? It's living in freedom every day. That's the freedom. That's a process that he wants us to live out and walk out in our faith journey. That's what living in freedom is all about. Let's bow our heads.